Hello and welcome to the St Mark's podcast. Whether you regularly join us at church on Sundays or you're joining us for the very first time, we hope that this week's talk inspires you and draws you closer to Jesus. Hello, welcome again to St Mark's. Uh, So good to have you with us as we continue the series uh, on building blocks for a healthy church. That's what the top is at the back, by the way. It's not sort of misplaced brick wall being put together. And uh, I'm pleased to welcome here to our home, here at St Mark's, Hannah from Safe Families. So welcome, Hannah. Uh, I'll be chatting to you in just a moment. Uh, But last week we talked about church being a place of home. And uh, if you haven't um, heard that, you weren't here, you can listen back to the podcast. It's on our website under Talks. Uh, Listen back to what it means to be um, home here at church. And this week we'd like to continue that theme as we look uh, more widely at how we actually engage with our wider community and become home to them and become a place of belonging. So a healthy church should be a place of belonging. Now, uh, Hannah, last week, it was about uh, some home being more than just bricks and mortar. So this church here, uh, it is sort of our church home, but there's so much more to it than that. Um, What, in your opinion, um, makes a house a home? Um, yes, a home for me is somewhere um, that I can create memories, that I can rest, and really somewhere that I can just fully switch off and relax, be myself. But we are just coming into my favourite season, which is autumn. Oh, so, don't you ever say the C word. Uh, Too no, soon. No, 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 don't worry. Yeah. Autumn. Um, autumn. Um, <laughs> so for me, making my house really cosy is important. So candles, fairy lights, blankets, really, really important. Okay, I'm the opposite. I'm like clinging on to summer. I'm like, come on, that's just, I don't know, I don't know, what, you know, what do you do to sort of cling on to summer? I'll tell you what I do, refuse to put the heating on. That's it, that makes a house a home. Where's Nay? She's shaking her head at me. No. <laughs> oh, that's good, I like that, I like that. Nice little tumble. Um, Hannah, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your work. Yeah, so um, I'm Hannah, I grew up in Grimsby most of my life. Um, I did move away for three years to study theology and youth work. Um, but as nice as the South Coast is, I'm a bit of a homebird, so I moved back to Grimsby. Um, and I now live in Grimsby with my husband, um, and I work for Safe Families as a community volunteer manager, and I work right across um, Lincolnshire. Wow, okay, so you came, you came back to Grimsby. I did, yeah, yeah. That's good, good on you. And that's because God is doing something wonderful in Grimsby, Absolutely. and he wants us all involved, so we're pleased that you're here. You mentioned Safe Families, we prayed for Safe Families this morning. I know some people are there going, you, you want Safe what? Um, just tell us a little bit, like what's the vision of Safe Families? Yeah, so um, I guess our why, um, why we exist, the vision of Safe Families is we really believe that no one should feel alone um, and we exist to create relationship and connection because everyone deserves to belong um, and to be seen, heard and understood. You're going to hear me say that a lot because it's really important. That's good, we like that. Just take home a little sort of like, what do they call it, the niggle in your mind? A, a worm or something. Earworm! Is that it? Great, a good earworm name. Like, oh, my pet earworm. Yeah, everything Hannah said. Um, okay, so this play, that, 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 as you just described, what does that look like in practice? Like, what do Safe Families do to make that vision a reality? Yeah, so Safe Families, um, we offer hope belonging um, to families, children, and care leavers um, right across the UK, so we don't just work in Grimsby, mostly by partnering with local churches like St. Mark's. Um, and we really believe that the local church is God's primary vehicle 
um, to bring about community transformation. We believe that, that it's it's the church. Um, and we love to see the church in partnership with the local authority um, to come alongside families at their most vulnerable um, point in a safe and secure way um, when you know they might hit a bump in the road. And we know the best place for a child is to belong in their own family um, and for that family to then be able to um, be in community. And then we have volunteers from local churches um, to sort of help um, that family come alongside them, um, be a listening ear, um, and provide, I guess, um, just a bit of support. That's brilliant. So it's a real, like, practical response from, like, bringing together the local church to play their part alongside the local authority, um, because we know that there's a, a huge sort of... Um, there are loads of children and young people who are sort of without a home, but also lots of families that just need that love and that support. And uh, I love what you said, social, that social transformation feels like, for, for us, part of our role, part of our, our place within the town here is spiritual transformation and social transformation. And when the two come together, like we know that Jesus transforms lives. And I love that this is an, a, like a real practical outplay of transformation that lasts. Um, we talked last week, um, again, about home. We talked about home should be a place where the stranger becomes a friend and a friend leaves as a family member. And there's this movement from sort of um, stranger, friend, family. And it, it only really happens when people feel that they truly belong. It can't be sort of manufactured. And that's the sort of basic human need for people to feel that they belong and are loved. I mean, like, whether you have Christian faith or not, it, it's just true. You need to, to, to be loved and belong is, is one of our basic human needs. Um, and I believe it's something that is very much God-given. Um, to be loved and to belong. And Hannah, in just a moment, you're going to read for us Genesis 1, 15 to 25. Uh, and it picks up an account where God forms the heavens and the earth, and, and then he creates humanity. Adam and Eve gives them a name. They're his children, his creation made in his image. And God's made Adam, but it becomes quite apparent that um, something's missing. There's something missing within this relationship between God and, and man. And Adam sort of finds himself kicking around, and he's, I, get, I don't know if he's getting bored, I don't know, he sort of named all the animals, and then he's like, what do I do next, God? Um, but it doesn't seem right, and this is where we pick up in Genesis 2, um, 15 to 25. Uh, you're going to read for us the words up on the screen as well. So. Um, yeah, so the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. 
Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Thanks so much. I love that opening part of Genesis, has this poetic flow to it. So it's a poem and it talks about this sort of flow of creation that reveals God's character and what God is like to us. And there's this repetitive pattern, isn't there? Like God saw that it was good. If you've read through that before, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And you think God's doing a good job. He is, he's God. But then it, interestingly in here, there's this, um, um, this verse in verse uh, 18. Uh, it said, it is not good for man to be alone. So there's this sort of flow of goodness and then this recognition that it's not good for man to be alone. And I think that's sort of really interesting. Um, what does that mean? What was going on there for, for Adam? And it tells us something about God's desire for us and humanity, that we're made for relationship. Uh, and the first relationship that we're made for, we see already, we're made for a relationship with God. God and Adam have this relationship. We might say that it's um, like a, a vertical relationship. We're aligned with, with God, uh, with a sort of the heavenly realm made in God's image. Um, but there's a second relationship, almost like a horizontal axis, and that's a relationship with, with one another. God's made us for community. And what makes the, the church a distinctive community is that we're a community of saints. In other words, we're a community of people who have been made right with Christ and called to relationship with one another. And what's even more amazing and distinctive about this relationship within the church is that it spans generations. So we are part of the community of saints with those sort of like early apostles and with those who come after us, with, with our, our grandparents and our forebears, uh, and those, you know, Moses and Abraham and Ruth and all those people who came before, we are part of this sort of other community uh, of God's children, called by him, made right by him. And that's a beautiful thing. So we're, we sort of span generations, but we also span geography. So the church is a beautiful thing. And if you've come to church now, I think I'll go to church. That would be nice know that the church is so much more, again, than bricks and mortar. Um, so there's a beautiful thing there. But we, we yet live in an age, perhaps in a society, where the opposite can be quite, quite evident. The opposite to this relationship, this community that we enjoy, this place of belonging, is loneliness. I was just doing a little bit of research this week into loneliness. Um, I was trying to work out, I'll find some statistics. And when I, I typed in loneliness statistics, there were just so many results. But I, I've just pinched two from a government survey, um, just from uh, the last couple of years. Uh, the government conducted a survey, a national survey. Uh, it was called the Community Life Survey. And they looked at wellbeing and loneliness. They found that 6% of respondents in that, survey, in that survey, which equates to and represents about 3 million people in England, said that they felt lonely often or always. That was like the worst sort of form of loneliness. 6% of people in England say they feel lonely often or always. How sad is that? And, and then what it showed is the most likely group of people to feel lonely often or always were those in the 16 to 24 age bracket. So young people and young adults say they feel the most lonely. And in my mind, I thought, maybe it's the older generations. No, it's, it's our young people, our young adults, who feel horribly lonely. Uh, interestingly, the next loneliest age bracket were the bracket after, that, after them, the 25 to 34s. It makes you ask the question, what's happening in these generations to feel that? Is there a, is there a connection between um, a relationship with God that's missing and those younger age brackets? Uh, and the, the least likely to feel lonely are the 65 to 74s. 
Uh, I just thought it was really interesting. And, and then again, just uh, maybe feels a bit, a bit more relevant for us where we are here uh, in our neighbourhoods and in Grimsby, that you are uh, over twice as likely to feel lonely and isolated if you, are, if you live in an area of high deprivation compared to if you uh, are living in a least deprived area, that's 11% versus 5%. So uh, I just wanted to pull those out because it helps put the, uh, uh, sort of put a lot of this stuff in, in context. And uh, I just was remembering as I was looking at that, a quote I'd come across from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa said that loneliness, uh, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty, is the most terrible poverty. Uh, and when we think about loneliness, all sorts of pictures might come into mind. You know, a single person being on their own. However, being alone isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, Jesus went off and he, he wanted to be alone. He went to be alone with his heavenly father. And when he went alone to pray, the truth is he was alone, but he was alone with God. And we call this solitude. When we go to be alone, we are only alone with God. And that, that can be quite a beautiful thing. I think solitude is a sermon for another day. But, but loneliness is this other sort of poverty. I think solitude is like, is, if you're looking at poverty, it's, solitude is like a richness to be in the presence of and the glory of God. And yet loneliness is, is this terrible poverty, this, this separation, this lack of belonging, this lack of relationship, that, that uh, lack of fulfillment to, to know our most basic need to be loved uh, and belong. So Hannah, you'll see no doubt in your line of work, uh, loneliness, um, I just wonder, how does that play out? What impact does that have on those you work with? Yeah, so loneliness is often um, the biggest underlying issue in families that we encounter. So um, they don't have um, possibly the support networks that many of us take for granted. Or if they do, they're often not positive support networks. Um, and the loneliness our families are experiencing could be due to several factors such as family breakdown, um, mental health issues, or even um, drug misuse. Um, and when we meet with a family for the first time, we sort of get them to do an activity, which gets them to think about their own personal sort of social network. Um, and the family score one to 10, um, how supportive their social network is and how often, and, and often that is the lowest score that we receive from the families is that they don't have a supportive network. Um, and as you kind of already mentioned, loneliness um, can have a devastating impact on our mental and physical health. And we know from research that people with strong social relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely than people with weak social relationships. Um, and also another study, um, it's just, it's fascinating, um, has found that people who had unhealthy habits such as smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity but embraced close social, um, but, but had sort of close social ties, lived longer than those who had more health-promoting habits, but lacked these important social connections. So that just highlights um, loneliness and how it can affect your mental and physical health. So being seen, heard, and understood is important, and the church can help families with this. Um, and when we think of loneliness, we kind of think of it in three dimensions. So, um, number one, relational, a longing for friendship. Number two, intimate, a longing for a close confidant. And three, social, a longing for a network. That's brilliant. Okay, so thinking a bit about those three dimensions, um, am I right in thinking that you've sort of grown up in a church family? So you've sort of had that 
network, that relationship, and you've sort of grown up in a home with uh, parents. I'm not assuming this. <laughs> That's fine. So you, you've kind of enjoyed some of those social interactions, that relationship. Um, when you sort of think of the families you're working with that might not have had those social connections, how do you see sort of loneliness countered by belonging um, through the relationships that are perhaps built in, in families, in church? Uh, what, like, what does that, that look like? Where do you see the, the needs sort of being met? Um, yeah, so I've been blessed to grow up in, in a wonderful church family my whole life and I've seen many examples of belonging um, and I was trying to think of an example of like what belonging looks like when you're already in a church family um, and uh, an example I could think of was um, when someone lost her husband and started to kind of become lonely and she adapted to life without him um, and I watched different people in our church just rally around her um, and they supported her in getting her out of the house um, and helped her to become involved in church activities. And I think you kind of asked, I'll go on to the next question if that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and why, for, for those who aren't in the church that don't have that family, like why is it that they don't, I guess, have that? Um, and there are so many pressures on families right now. And many of the families that we come alongside do not have healthy support networks, as I've mentioned. Um, so I have my husband, my family, friends that I can you know, they're on the end of the phone. If I'm going through a tough, a tough spot or a hard patch, I can reach out to them. But the families that we support don't have a person or a support network to lean on when things go wrong. And when I say they don't have anyone, uh, that it's not an exaggeration. They don't have anyone that they can call to um, ask for advice. And often all they need is a consistent, reliable friend to talk with occasionally or just to know that there is someone out there who cares for them. That's really like interesting. So what, we're, what you're sort of saying is that there might be things we've just taken for granted if we've grown up in a setting like this. And it might be that you've, you've not grown up in a church setting. This is all quite new for you. It might be you've even come in today and this, all of this is quite new. Um, but for those maybe of us who have grown up with it, we might not realise the barriers that stand in the way of people ever coming over the threshold of a, of a church or into a church family. So that's quite... That can be quite daunting, I guess, just because some of those experiences aren't there for them. Um, I was thinking a little bit about um, some of the, those sort of barriers that Jesus saw and overcame in the scriptures. And the passage that came to mind is in, is in John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, feel free to, to put it up. Um, you might be familiar with the passage. It's John 4, 4 to 26. And it's the story, an example of uh, the woman at the well. And I'll just give you a very light abridged uh, version of that, that telling, but look it up uh, if you'd like to. Um, Jesus goes out to a well called Jacob's Well, and it's the, the sort of at the sort of midday, super hot. And he meets a woman there who's going to draw water. And what was odd about that is um, many of the other women in the community will have gone earlier in the cool of the day. But she went later because she didn't want to be seen by or spend time with those other women because her lifestyle was quite messy. And if she went, she might have been judged. She might have um, probably been shunned by the community. So Jesus finds that out there, and there he is. And um, he starts to address these different barriers that have separated this woman from community and also would have separated her from uh, talking to him, a male Jewish man out there at the well at that time of day. So let's just call it an awkward social situation. Jesus comes across and finds this, this woman. Um, 
But uh, what I love about this is Jesus is God. He doesn't hold back from engaging um, this, this woman at the well. So he goes there, uh, she's there. Um, uh, he's the son of God, she's a Samaritan woman. She's a little rough around the edges and uh, there are so many barriers. So Jesus sort of um, identifies within this passage. There's a, there's a, a sort of a moral barrier uh, the woman's sort of lifestyle doesn't match up to perhaps how she ought to live or what others think about how she ought to live. There's a social barrier between a Samaritan woman and Jesus, a male Jew. There's a racial barrier, Samaritan woman again, um, and Jesus and his, um, his background. And there's a religious barrier in terms of their belief system and, and who they are. And yet Jesus approaches her and addresses her right in her moment of need, which is greater for Jesus than any of those other barriers. So Jesus could have approached and gone, well, I can't really talk to her, I'm a Jew, she's a Samaritan. Can't talk to her, she's a woman, I'm a man. He doesn't. He recognises there's something beyond that. And he embraces her and speaks to her and overcomes those, those barriers that um, others may not have seen. And what we see is um, that she's by drawing water, she's thirsty. Jesus is thirsty. Jesus says to her, would you, would you draw me some water? and says to her, I have something beyond this water that will satisfy your greatest need. He says, uh, I will give you living water. That might seem a little bit cryptic, but there's something else going on here. Jesus says, there's something beyond all of this awkwardness that I have for you that will transform your life. Uh, and that's what she's longing for in her life. She's longing for something, something greater, living water. And Jesus is willing to break this social taboo to offer it to her. So he cuts through those awkward barriers and helps her to see him as the Messiah. And if you read that passage a little more closely, she goes from sort of addressing him as a, as a Jew and a prophet to acknowledging him as the Son of God in just a few verses. It's, it's some transformation because God has approached her. And I think there's something we can learn from this uh, about what Jesus does in the moment. Firstly, he recognises and is sensitive to her past experiences he knows what's going on here. He can read the situation. And yet he doesn't judge her. But he also doesn't hide over or mask over the whole awkward situation either. So he doesn't judge her. He recognises it. He takes a sensitive approach. Secondly, he approaches the situation with empathy. He genuinely loves this woman because he sees the child of God in her. He sees a, a God-created person who, although she's been shunned by her community, has not been shunned by God. He sees something, he's empathetic. And then he also has this greater vision for her life, for renewal and transformation. We might say that he takes the long view of what's possible for her. So he creates, if you like, this space, this place of belonging and gives her an opportunity to respond. And if you see the end of that passage, she actually goes off back to her community, almost skipping and dancing, and saying, come and meet the man who told me everything about my life. Come and meet the Messiah. Come and meet the Son of God. It is quite transformative. And then when I think about the work of, say, families, some of what you've described is that work in practice. It's about breaking down those barriers and loving people. How practically, Hannah, do, say, families create spaces of belonging for families? And then sort of what part do we as church, not just the Marks, but the local church, play in, in breaking down barriers. 
Um, before I answer that, I'm just going to skip that quickly. Please do. That's okay. Thank you. Um, and just maybe talk about why there are the barriers to some of the families yeah. um, that we work with, why they might not come to church, what yeah, the barriers good. are. Um, and actually, this is a really hard question, but there could be so many reasons. Um, and families could be unsure of what church is like and question whether they will fit in or be welcomed. Um, many families that we work with have suffered rejection. Um, emotional or other abuse and may have such low self-esteem that they assume others just would not want to spend time with them and really sadly we even work with some families where they have never experienced any form of genuine love um, that doesn't demand something back from them um, or that hasn't caused them any pain so trusting that someone is genuine and expects nothing back is just completely alien to them so loneliness can close doors and discourages from seeking meaningful connection with others um, and then yeah to go on to the questions you asked um, so sort of how practically um, do we kind of do that um, as I've already mentioned that we connect families of local volunteers um, and we want our volunteers to become friends with them and create a genuine relationship um, and our volunteers build these meaningful relationships with the family they support and they don't need anything from the family they're doing it just because they love them um, and often something um, th this is often something that families are just not used to um, and families have told us that what they love is that someone is coming alongside them who isn't a professional so it's someone who hasn't got an agenda who's not coming to um, check up on them um, but is just coming because actually they care about them and they just want the best for the family um, so yeah, I wonder if this is a good moment to invite Anne up. It is. I tell you yeah. what, while Anne is coming up, I wonder if we should show the video because it's yes, really nice. Yeah, we've got a little video which just gives, puts, just shows you what this is like, and Anne's going to join us as well. So take a look at the screen. I grew up in care because I lost my mum and dad when I was a kid. Being a single mum with two kids and and not having much support, like family, because I haven't got no family. I just wanted someone to understand me, like someone to help me, someone to act can believe in me. Yeah, Peter and Vivian, they like helping with the children, like if I want an hour to myself, they'll come up and collect the children, leave me for an hour, do what I've got to do. And then I've got Sue and Ray that help me with gardening and help just take me out basically to get out for a bit. She was very worried that she wasn't doing things right and maybe the children might be taken off her. And... She'd never had the parental support had she really. What she was doing she was making up on her own half the time and, and she didn't know whether that was right or wrong. We, we volunteered to take the kids out, uh, to see the kids growing up and for them to relate to you and know who you are. To know that they're giving time break as well. Because obviously I suffer with anxiety and depression and obviously I can't take the children out so I'm constantly with the children 24 hours a day don't get like an hour to myself so it affects my mental health a bit. If I didn't have them I think I would have gone down there and I would have lost my kids. And it's just nice to know somebody you can talk to when you need help. So especially Ray, I'm always on my phone to him how to put a curtain pole up, what do I use? He teach me how to use the lawnmower, the streamer so I could do be independent a lot more. They're really good people. They've helped me, and you know what? They've never judged at me for what I've been through and what I've done. Well, it's just a wonderful thing to do. Um, it's 
Um, it is clearly God's will that these families should have help and should feel loved. It made me feel like I've got family, that like I've got an auntie and uncle or a mum and a dad, so it's nice to have that bond with them. They do change your life when you're in a bad place and make it positive. Yeah, so you're not on your own. I'm excited to see him because I know they're coming to see me and I've got someone to talk to, like my family. Really? Yeah, I'm like my family. Yeah, I must have seen that video like tens of times, so it gets me all the time that they're like my family, just to know that that was her first experience with family. Um, so Anne um, is one of our wonderful volunteers, so I thought it would be a great idea just to ask her a few questions so that um, people in this church would get a bit of a flavour of what it is like on the ground volunteering. So the first question then is, what first attracted you to sort of want to volunteer with Safe Families? Um, I'm not actually sure where I first heard about Safe Families, but I just thought it was something that I was able to do. Um, I did talk to my family and they said it was another way of me getting out of housework. <laughs> no, that's great, I love that. Um, so could you maybe talk about what has been your best experience whilst volunteering? Um, I think just feeling that you're really making a difference to somebody's life. Um, and just being a friend to them and helping them. Um, and like the video said, often people don't, when you said that people don't really have support networks or friends and actually being able to, to do that. To be that support network yeah. for them, yeah, absolutely. So could you tell us about what support has kind of looked like for you with a family that you've supported um, in Grimsby? Um, so I volunteered when we were in Lincoln and supported a couple of uh, younger women with younger children. Um, but since we've been in Grimsby, I've been matched up with a lady who's similar age to me. Um, and we've kind of, you know, we're more sort of equals. And I, and I get on with her well. Um, and we just, um, you know, we've got things in common. Um, but she's had very difficult circumstances, which is why she sort of needs a family friend at the moment. That's great. Could you maybe talk about one of the challenges that you faced as a volunteer? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is, uh, is boundaries um, because um, the lady that I support has got lots of, um, which I'm sure she for lots of safe families um, that you support, as she's got lots of needs and lots of things that, um, you know, are difficult for her. And so knowing how much to support her, because I could be potentially running around a couple of times a week to try and help her out with things that are difficult and obviously that's not appropriate. So I think that's a challenge, but the support I get from um, my local um, support, <laughs> safe families, is so I would chat to Holly about, um, you know, what's appropriate and how I can do that. So I see her about once a week, usually, um, and sort of for an afternoon probably, and we go out and about and um, sometimes I take her to appointments, sometimes um, we just go for a walk somewhere. Um, and I think she looks forward to it. Um, and I do, I do sometimes text her during the week as well if I know she's doing something. So she does communicate with me that way as well. Yeah, that's great. And um, what about one of the joys of volunteering? Uh, I think it's just, um, you, you know that I'm using my gifts and I'm and knowing that she really appreciates it as well. Um, and she's, you know, sometimes she, she sent me a little card, uh, just a thank you card, 
saying um, how much she's appreciated my friendship and what a difference it's meant to her. So I think knowing that God uses you um, in that way is, is, is good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Anne. It's really great just to hear, yeah, some of the um, on-the-ground experience that you've had. Brilliant. Thank you. So just a couple more questions before we uh, have an opportunity to sort of respond. Um, Safe Families quite clearly is an opportunity to put the gospel into practice. It's a, a sort of a mix of word and action. And last week we were talking about um, when we are home, not just in the church building, but out with our lives. People are often watching to see uh, how we conduct ourselves, our lifestyle, the choices we make, how we deal with situations, circumstances. And I guess it's the same with like coming alongside families um, in Safe Families. People are, are watching to see whether Jesus really does make a difference in our lives. And I just wonder whether you've got a, a little example of a time maybe when you've sort of seen um, a, like a positive response to the gospel in that way, in word and action, um, because people have seen the difference and gone, yeah, I want Jesus for myself. Yeah, so this is an example that Holly, um, one of our family support managers, actually told me about. Um, so we had a mum who was really struggling with um, substance misuse, and she became pregnant whilst living in a B&B. She was really, really struggling, but she was. Um, she went along to um, church, and the church really made connection with her, um, and she was just um, was really welcomed and made to feel at home. She ended up having to move area, um, I think, to be closer to her family. But what this church leader did was able just to help her to connect in with the church family in a new local area, and then the area that she moved to, we were also able to get. Um, a couple of volunteers alongside her as well to then help her plug into this church. So in, in a um, time in her life where she was just really struggling, she um, she found support in the church and, and as far as we know, has continued going um, along to this church. That's brilliant. So real like connection into the family and, and belonging in there. So just to sort of finish off and thinking quite practically again, um, how might we all play our part in coming alongside, uh, say, families in their vision? Uh, yeah, what does that look like to actually practically get on board? Yeah. Um, so, sorry, five minutes. Thank <laughs> uh, Practically get on board in terms of the three ways. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Sorry, I've yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, so, in t- yeah, in terms of the three ways of volunteering, um, so obviously you've heard from Anne um, and. Um, you can become a volunteer. So that's kind of split into two different, um, I guess, streams. Um, So that's becoming a family friend. So that could look like meeting um, a family for coffee for an hour a week, um, going for a walk. Um, It could be supporting um, a family where there's children, so actually giving the parents a bit of respite, taking them to the park for an hour a week, that kind of thing. Um, Or the other way is actually to become a host home. So there are occasions where um, parents, again, are so burnt out, they don't have a support network, so they do need a bit of respite. So you um, could then become a, a home that could step in um, where you know it's a safe, loving and friendly environment for children just to come for a couple of nights. Or it could even be um, in an urgent situation where we've had mums go into hospital. Um, again, they have no support networks, so who's supposed to look after their children? And it's um, host homes that can step in and um, provide um, this safe environment for the children. Another way you can practically get involved is through giving. 
So we say sort of £8 a month um, helps us support a family for a whole year, which is just the price of a couple of cups of coffee um, a month. So um, that, is, that is another way you can get involved. Alternatively, you can make a one-off or a regular monthly donation. And last but not least, um, you can get involved um, through prayer. So prayer is central to the work of Save Families. Um, and if you sign up as a prayer partner, then you will receive um, sort of regular prayer updates and also be given opportunities for like local prayer that we do in um, Lincolnshire. And just one thing to mention as well, um, we have what we call information events. So if you're sat there thinking, I would love to get involved, but actually I just need a, a bit more time to really think about whether this is something for me, we have information events. And our first one is on Thursday, as in next Thursday, 28th of September at 8pm. It's online, so you can do it in the comfort of your own home, cup of coffee in your jammies um, and you know just go and ask questions and find out more and our staff will be on the call and um, ready to answer those questions for you fantastic thank you so much Hannah uh, it's been really good to think practically about what belonging looks like uh, as we sort of demonstrate home here uh, belonging is a God-given gift God's made us for relationship with him relationship with one another and um, how we belong and how we help others to belong uh, is part of spiritual and social transformation. It's a really practical way that we as a local church make a difference in the community that God has called us to. Uh, it's um, a wonderful thing when we're able to partner with organisations like Safe Families. It says a lot about our sort of joint vision and heart and what we're responding to uh, and the part that we're playing um, as well. And uh, can I just pray for, pray for you, pray for us before we um, respond? Is that okay? So, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the work of Safe Families. Lord, thank you that you've called each of us into relationship. Um, Lord, just uh, as we've listened in today, Lord, you'll just be speaking to us in different, different ways, showing us how um, we might belong, but also how we might also offer a place of belonging. Uh, Lord, we pray for the work of Safe Families, Lord, that it continues to flourish. Lord, we pray for partnerships with the local church. There would be a joined up... Um, yeah, a way by which we can really demonstrate your love and that your gospel doesn't get hindered, Lord, through, uh, yeah, Lord, by us overcomplicating things. So, yeah, Lord, we just pray, just show us how we can each respond, whether that be through prayer or giving or actually practically offering the hands-on support. And, uh, yeah, Lord, we pray we would see the families, the people of Grimsby and our community transformed by your love and by your belonging. In Jesus' name, amen.